for my sermon today, I just want to encourage you to be involved in Slack. So um, we, we definitely want to be discussing what's going on in Slack here. There's lots of questions that I'm going to ask. But I want to hear your comments, not just your answers to your questions. What, what, does, this, what does this mean to you? How, are we, how does it get processed in your life? Um, and, uh, and so these are really, really important conversations to have. Um, we are, this is our third sermon on our vision series. So if you want to go back, you can go back on YouTube. The sermons are all there. If you didn't get one and two, they're really, really good. Um, but this is the third one. And so today, I'm, I really want to bleed my heart about how God is molding us and shaping us. Our vision is we, as Promised Church, are a community that's united. And we talked about being united. Um, to show that God is with us. So last week we talked about how we show through our promised grants and our community uh, barbecues. We show that God is with us, making everything right. So we're a community united to show God with us, making everything right. The amount of times that I've spoken to somebody, both Christian and non-Christian, and had to field this type of question has been unbelievable to me. Here's the question I get. What on earth is God doing? What on earth is God doing? It sometimes comes out like this. God, what are you doing in my life? Or God, why is this happening to me? Or maybe it comes out like this. God, where are you? Where are you? Why can't I see what you're doing? These questions are, are, are coming up all the time. And, and if we're not ready for it, I, I find that I can find myself flat-footed. I might be in the wrong context. I might not have my pastor hat on. And all of a sudden, somebody just starts and I'm like, oh, uh, I don't know what to say right now, right? And, and, and I think, I think the, that Paul says, be, uh, be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the faith. And we take that as our big, oh, we should do apologetics passage. That's proving that God exists through science. But I think that he's actually being more serious about like, be ready wherever you are to allow the conversation to become spiritual. You don't have to force it. People are willing to have it. They're asking questions like this. What on earth is God doing? So here's a question for you, and you can be open and honest. It's okay because this happened. Have you ever been caught flat-footed by somebody else asking a question about God when you weren't ready for it? Has that happened to you? You can tell us a little story in, in Slack if you could think of a time that's like somebody went spiritual on you and you weren't ready. You know, you're like, ah, I don't know what happened there. You know, I'd love to hear a couple stories. Um, this, is, uh, this is great. Have you been f caught flat-footed? So I envision a church full of people who can help others answer this question. Since this church started, I've been grounding it 
on an idea that is so far from the regular construct of what people think about church that they're sometimes struggling to understand how to use it. So I see this church being able to show a non-Christian what God is doing. And first, we have to understand what God is doing in us. God casts himself as a potter who's shaping us. My basic goal is to show us all that God has been using the exact same pottery tools for years. And for years inside of Christianity, we've seen, we've understood Christianity as a linear progression towards perfection, of which my friend Ethan is right about here. And, and we're just progressing up and up and up and up. And this is what it is. And if you're not progressing up, what are you doing? You're backsliding. We use this language, right? You're progressing or you're backsliding. And I believe that God is working something different to us. We're not on this progression towards perfection. It's not perfection that we're doing because, God, help me. I'm not there and neither is Ron. Just throwing people's names out today. <laughs> Why not? We need to see accurately where we are. We're not a dog chasing its tail, we're, but we're not progressing to upwards yet. We're on a wheel, a pottery wheel. And every time around, we're changed and shaped and reformed. Jeremiah 8 18, 1 to 11 says the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And so he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter is done? Declared the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hands, so you are in my hand. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, if a nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I'm going to relent from the disaster I intended to do from it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build it and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I'll relent of the good that I intended to do to it. Now therefore say to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping a disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from your evil way. Amend your ways and your deeds. Romans 9, 23, 20 to 23 says, But you, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Has the potter no right over you to make the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other dishonorable? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand? Our post-enlightenment conceit suggests that we're progressing upward as though under our own effort. God, if I just pray more, 
or if I just read my Bible more, or if I just do more good deeds, then I am somehow established as better than the rest. I can snub my nose at people who aren't yet as finely crafted as I am. And God is saying to us, you're not building a tower of your works that will get you to heaven. That isn't the story that's happening here. You're not building a, a tower, but we cooperate with God in God's shaping us. Can you see it? Can you see what God is doing? Can you see how God is meticulously crafting every element of your character, showing you his great love? It's so challenging for us to, to think about this. So let me, let me ask you, let me, uh, let me just reflect on, on what you guys said. Have you ever been caught flat-footed by someone asking these questions? You know, um, I think it comes often when they rapid-fire existential questions and don't give you a chance to think or speak or dialogue. I'm not God. I don't have all the answers. But as soon as I can't give a full dissertation on the answers, they're like, see, God isn't good. And you're like, come on, people. Can we take a moment and get into the conversation? I, I love that, that somebody just wrote that. This just happened last week when I was challenged to watch a documentary about the history of religion, similarities between numerous religions and deities, and the person wanted to know my opinion as a religious person. I watched it, and I'm stumped. I didn't tell her that I'd watched it because I don't have an answer yet, right? So I envision a church that we're able to say, yes, we can see what God is doing, and I can help you understand it. I can help you understand it. So I often feel like I don't have the right words to, to say, to comment like this, because I ask the same ones sometimes. The difference is that I'm just asking God. Brilliant. So when someone comes and says, what do you think about God like this? And you're like, I don't know if I have the answer, but you know what? I'm going to ask God the same question. This is a great act of spiritual leadership, by the way. This is something to emulate. When, when God says, okay, here's what... Here's the question, and the person's asking me, and I help the person deflect it to God. Oh, I don't know the answer to that, but God's got the answer. So what a great approach. This is how we're, you know, sometimes we get caught, caught flat-footed, but God's doing it. Okay, so I have a, a slack question for us. Is why do you think God is molding us at all? Why is God molding us at all? See, the potter... God is the potter shaping our lives, and he's using five main tools to shape us. You see the tools that God uses on, you see the tools that God uses on our shirts. Promise Church community shirts. There are people wearing blue shirts right now. They promise, trust, follow, question, mission. These are tools that God is using to shape us, to mold us. Our life is like the clay on a potter's wheel. And you saw that video where, where there's the, the tools that the potter's got to finish off the top. The tools that he's got to, to, to mold the mass of it. Even if his tools are his thumb just digging down and kneading the clay. Which, you know, if, if you've ever been to a good massage therapist, just that, that kneading action kind of hurts. I don't go to massage therapists anymore because I needed an ice pack last time for three days. Massively. Like, 
oh, I got this pain here. And I like go to the massage therapist and then come out and I'm like, I've got this pain here and now I've got a bruise. Like, <laughs> crazy. Um, if there are massage therapists here, I'm sure that you do a better job than my last one did. So we're a community that's united to show God, to show God, to help him be on display for the human, and, and this, is, this is how we do it, but we're not trained enough oftentimes to show God, and so I want to give us these five basic understandings. This isn't exhaustive. This is illustrative. This is something that will help us, and we're going to do it through Psalm 119. We're going to do the whole chapter. Kidding. Um, <laughs> So, so today's a crash course in how we can start to see what God is doing in someone else's life. And it takes listening. It's going to take listening to first understand their life so that I can see what God is coordinating in it. So I can see what God is doing. So let's just revisit this for a second. Um, why is God molding us at all? That we may be as he sees us and has always seen us. He molds us for the same reasons why we mold our children up in the way we would go. And someone just said, uh, Rob, the pain is to bring healing. <laughs> but you're right, even in this molding story where it's like the potter is kneading the clay if that was alive, if that was me, that's going to hurt, but it brings healing. So important. So, so here we go. Here are the five main tools. When you're listening to somebody, if you're hearing glimmers of hopelessness, this is so prevalent in our culture right now, a sense of existential hopelessness where you can feel it but my life is these years, you only live once, becomes a curse. It becomes a negative. Like, crap. My life's coming towards an end, and it's going too fast. How do I slow it down? I feel hopeless. God uses, in the Bible, he consistently does this. To people who feel hopeless, God uses the tool of a faithful promise to bring them hope. A faithful promise to bring hope. So what's a promise of God that brings hope? What are promises? When I say that, and it might get you flat-footed right now, but think about it. What are promises of God that bring hope? If you could put that into Slack, I'd, I'd love it. Psalm 119, 49 and 50 says, Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction. That your promise gives me life. God gives us promises that shape our hope. They shape our expectation. They shape our future perspective on the world. And so, when I listen to somebody who's experiencing hopelessness, I quietly pray. Just in the listening. The beauty of, of the practice of listening is my mouth is shut here. I'm hearing with my ears. And I have space in my heart and my mind to pray for the person. And I'm praying, God, what promise of hope would you encourage this person with? What promise of hope would you shape this person's perspective with? Would you mold them with? 
Hope can be hopelessness can be caused by loneliness, poverty, tragedy, crime, family instability, fighting and conflict, a bad boss, and for a whole bunch of other reasons. You could feel hopeless, trapped. So what's a promise of God? God's presence is one of the answers that we can often offer in dark time. Hopelessness can be answered with presence. And, and, and promise of God's presence. Sometimes God's presence is even felt when you simply are there listening and pointing back to Jesus. It's really simple, but we, we don't practice it every day because we're caught up in the whirlwind of life. Very, very simple. So what are some of the, what are some of the promises that bring us hope? A promise to be with us. A promise to make things right. That he will not leave us as orphans. The rainbow, that he won't flood the world again. Thank God. Um, he will never leave us or forsake us. That the Holy Spirit will pray for us and intercede for us. The promise that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The promise of eternal life. These are promises that we have. That as we listen to somebody who is hopeless, the Holy Spirit reminds us of a promise. And we he uses that tool to build, to shape people. Another tool that God uses is for the human who's experiencing insecurity. God uses the tool of calling them to trust for the purpose of bringing security. You can trust me. You can trust me. So what are the reasons that you have had to trust God what are the reasons that you've had to trust God? Psalm 119.42 says, Then I'll have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. So when I'm listening to somebody who experiences insecurity, maybe they, they don't know who they are. Maybe they feel like a lesser person. Maybe they don't know what to do with their life. Maybe they don't know, you know what, what their worth is. God offers reason to trust him. Now, here's the interesting piece. This is the purpose of knowing what God has done in your life. If I'm to hire somebody to fix my bathroom because the plumbing is just gone, and I don't personally know a plumber, I'm going to go to my friends, and I'm going to say, do you know a plumber? And they're going to say, I know of a plumber, but don't use this one. And I'm going to say, all right. But then I find a friend who says, I know of a plumber who fixed all of the problems in my house with no problem and charged a good price. Now, I don't know that plumber personally, but because of the good reference and the good testimony, I am willing to place my bathroom's fate in the hands of a plumber that I don't know. So I have put trust in somebody that I didn't know. For the person who's experiencing insecurity, God is offering trust. He's offering the, this, this, you can trust me. But nobody knows that. People don't naturally come by that. God relies on us to share our experiences of trust as a reference, a testimony, for you can trust God. So the important question here, when you're talking to somebody without with insecurity, then, then the important question is, what are the reasons I've had to trust God? 
How did I get here? What's my story? So somebody said, he's always been faithful to work things out for the good. His faithfulness through my life, through suffering and affliction. Someone else wrote, wow, God has been faithful to me in the little things and the big things. Someone said, I'm still alive and knowing the person, that is an act of God. <laughs> Can, we can trust because Jesus' miracles and resurrection showed us that God has power over nature, disease, and even death. Absolutely. I trust God because he's faithful to respond. Like, these are reasons that we have. Always have a reason for your faith. It's not a scientific evidence. It's a personal experience. So, for the human who's experiencing lack of direction, anybody met anybody who's 20? <laughs> right? For the human who's experiencing lack of direction, I don't know what to do in my life. I don't know how to order my life. I don't know what way to go. I don't know what is up and what is down and how to move ahead. For the human that's experiencing lack of direction, God uses the tool of commanding them to follow him. And he brings order in their life. Follow me. It's a tool on this wheel as it spins and we're created. Psalm 119, 65, 68. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. So teach me good judgment and knowledge, because I don't have it. For I believe your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep to your word. You are good and do good, so teach me your statutes. When I'm listening to someone who doesn't have direction in their life or needs some structure, God calls us all to reorder our life. Your children, if you have children in the kids' ministry right now, they are learning a prayer of repentance today. Repentance is a reordering of your life. Restructure it. Look at it differently. And so we want to, we want to be able to reorder our life. I've seen people gain structure and stability to shape a new life by allowing God to be Lord of their life, and they move ahead with success. They move ahead with success. That gives us framework for the future. I've seen it. And the key is this, to know and understand the way of life God calls us to. So for us, know the commandments of God. Know how God would have you live. Not your opinion of it. What the Word of God says. Teach me your way, O oh God, so that I can reflect that, so I can help people stabilize Someone says, I have to remind myself daily that it's possible to love God and still have questions, and we're just going to get right to that right now. It gives me patience with those who have doubt. So for the person who's experiencing confusion or lack of clarity in the world, God uses the tool of questions to bring clarity. Psalm 119, 82 to 84 says, when I ask when, <clears throat> sorry, I ask, when will you com comfort me? For I've become like a wineskin in the smoke. That's a bad thing. Wineskins ruin when they're in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? He's, he's lost clarity. He's asking questions. This doesn't seem right. 
when are you going to judge those who are doing me wrong all the time? Like, seriously, God, when are you going to step up? And so the tool of questions, placing somebody in a position where they're questioning, two things are happening. One, they're directing their questions to God, but, and, and our job is to help people direct their questions to God. But God is using the tool of questioning to bring clarity, to maybe take off the excess over here that were assumptions that we have about God, and God's just using one of those, one of those tools that just shape off the edge here. Just take off that excess. We don't need that anymore. That was an assumption. And he just pulls that off and shows us more clearly who he is. So when I'm listening to someone who can't see God clearly, like a veil or maybe confusion between them and God, I, I want to encourage the questions, but then like someone said earlier, I want to help them direct their questions to God himself and say, let's actually... Why don't we take that to the Bible where God's revealed himself? Why don't we take that to prayer where God can actually do something? And, you know, it's okay. If somebody's asking, if you're out in public, somebody's asking you a question about God, it's okay to say, hey, I don't know the answer, but you know what? Since you're curious about God, would you be willing to pray with me for a minute? Man, the, the responses people give are so surprising. Sometimes it's like, no, 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 if you could just pray for me, that'd be great. Fine, no offense. But sometimes people are like, oh, would you? Could you? Please? And we pray, and God brings clarity. I know that God reveals himself to those who seek him. Read the potter wheel. Is there a balance of building and scraping away? Is it different for everyone? Why is there more scraping in other people's lives than others? Okay, well, part of this is um, imagery. It's, it's giving us this idea that God is actually building us and shaping us instead of us climbing these, like, stairs to perfection or backsliding. So we're using this as an image of what God is doing. But if we push the analogy and say, okay, so maybe these excesses are assumptions, well, sometimes assumptions are handed to you. You've been given assumptions. You've been given a whole bunch of assumptions about God that might not have been real. I've met many people who grew up in, in certain traditions of Christianity even that have been given assumptions that God hates them. That damages the shaping relationship that God wants to do. And so God, the, their questions start to become like, why does God hate me so much? What do I have to do to gain his approval? I'm trying everything. Oh, Wow, those are questions. The assumptions are God actually hates me. Gets shaped off. So assumptions can be inherited. Um, and God works with it. God works with wherever we are. All right, so the last one. For the human who's experiencing purposelessness. I don't have a reason to keep on going. I don't have a reason to go to work. I don't have a reason to, to try anymore because whatever I do isn't enough. I'm defeated by the, by the world around me. I just, I don't have it anymore. And God uses his tool of revealing his eternal mission to provide purpose. Psalm 119, 140 to 44 says, Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I don't forget your precepts. Your righteousness is forever. Your law is true. 
Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. What, what the psalmist is doing here is he's linking his purpose to the eternal, enduring presence of God. He's like, I'm not going to get caught up in the troubles that are around me right now that cause me hopelessness and despair, that cause me purposelessness. I'm going to link my life to God's eternal mission, his eternal purpose, which will not fail. Your testimonies are righteous forever. So when I'm talking to someone who's questioning their purpose in life, I remind people of scriptures of God's mission, inviting us to join him. I'm reminded of the eternal purpose of mankind, to know God, to glorify him, and to join in his mission I want us to be a church that has a simple image of God. Uh, not like, oh, God is simple, but a simple image of what God's doing. A potter with a wheel shaping people. It's a long process. So now I'm able to have patience when the person sitting next to me in the pew isn't conforming as fast as I want. I'm able to have patience when I can say I'm but part of a process where God is molding me and I'm able to have humility. Instead of my righteousness being built on all the good things that I did, balanced against all the bad things that I did, I now have humility saying, God, shape me, mold me, do what you want in me. You are never wrong for sharing your experiences with God and for connecting the dots between people's experiences and the tools that God's using. You're never wrong for openly sharing that. Let me pray for us. God, I, I pray that you would work in us. Jesus, I pray that you would mold us and shape us. And Jesus, I pray that we would be willing to receive your correction, your molding. I pray that we would be willing to be moldable. That our hearts would not become hardened to the work of your spirit. But that we would be people who would listen. And through these spiritual practices that we practice consistently, God, I pray that those things would keep our hearts soft so that we can know you and you can be seen by us. God, help us communicate to others. Our vision is to show people that God's with us, making all things right. Help us communicate to others how God is working in their life. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would bless this congregation. Give us rest as we know that you're working in us and you're going to carry on to completion your work. In Jesus' name, amen.